welcome to Michigan HockeyCast 6.17, where we're conquering narratives and exercising demons. We have to talk about an experience. We talk about experiences in these things. And so I had one this week where I finally made a trip to go to a non-Michigan game to go see my Avalanche play the Red Wings at LCA. How, how many hockey games have you seen at LCA? Not in the press box. Like as, as a, a fan. fan? Yeah. Um, I've seen... Like, I don't need the specific numbers. There's like two? Is yeah, it eight? just a couple. So not many. I mean, since they opened the building, the Red Wings were not really relevant. I went uh, to Red Wings Leafs one time. No, I think three. I went to okay. Red Wings Leafs once, and I went to with a friend who was a Sabres fan. We saw Red Wings Sabres twice. Okay. And where did you sit? One time we sat down in, in like a corner. In the, in the lower, lower bowl? bowl? Okay. The other two times we sat up high. In the In the upper or in the mezzanine? Uh, like the upper. Okay. So that, I was like, so I, I, whenever the abs are here, I always like look and, you know, what are the ticket prices and stuff? And this year sure. I knew they were going to be relatively cheap. And so I had my eyes on a couple different options and, um, like they got down to like $32 or something yeah. at one point, but it was like the upper in the, behind yeah. the goal. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to spend that money, I'd, I'd rather actually go get a decent seat. Um, and I actually got a, a nice seat. So you never sat in the mezzanine? I don't think so. So the, when I went two years ago to see the Avs and Wings, I sat in the mezzanine at center ice, and it was, like, awesome. We were in the first row. And then this year I was sort of in the corner, but in the mezzanine in, like, the fourth row. And, like, those seats are really good. Like, if I was going to go back to a game, I would probably look to sit in the mezzanine. I would be open to trying the lower bowl, but like the the angle that you get from the mezzanine yeah. is you're close enough it's sort of like sitting in the suites at Yoast sure a little further away but like it's like right over where you can see everybody and like I could see the other end really well uh, as to like who is on the ice and the numbers and everything and I, I just think that experience is is so much better than the Joe one <laughs> I guess in that regard um but have you have you been have you been to Pistons games I don't, there? I don't think I've been to Pistons at LCA. Yet. At LCA? No. Or what about like a concert or another event? I've been to some concerts at, the, at LCA. Yeah. yeah, like plural? Yeah, I I sat at, we were at LCA once in the gondolas, like the boxes that hang from the ceiling. Right, but those are like for press stuff, right? Uh, no, they have, on the other side, they have gondolas. They have a can, fan gondola? Yes, there are really? fan gondolas, yeah. So I went... Uh, it was the Quinn Hughes Goodyear, the Frozen Four eighteen. Yeah. I cover Adam and I covered uh, the duel in the D there. Yeah, and that was cool. It's really high. Yeah, and I've you're been like in, I've been in the press box on the other side. Yeah, for, I was there for the GLI one year. Yeah, maybe two years. But so, did you like the gondola? Yeah, I the gondola for a concert was kind of weird, but it was it was fine. <laughs> Just like peering over. Yeah, be like in, being in the catwalks, like a. <laughs> I was actually. In the catwalks at Joe Lewis one time. During a game? Uh, before a game. Oh. My Would dad, you want to watch a game from there? My dad had a friend that worked in, like, the TV production that was, like, in the stadium. And so he gave us a tour, like, an hour or two before a game. So we went up on the catwalks that overlooked, like, the hanging jerseys. You know, like, the yeah, yeah. kind of stuff. And it was, like, he was, like, 
you're walking out there, and he was just like, oh, yeah, 2009 Stanley Cup Final Game 7. I just swung a leg over the railing and, you know, watched from above. And I'm like, what? <laughs> the Maxine Talbot game? Yes, the Maxine Talbot. But I'm just like, you know, you're recreating the Empire State Building, like, lunch photo. With them <laughs> yeah. hanging off the, Guys just hanging you know, from the just, ceiling? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I, no way I could do that. <laughs> I'm not even, like, scared of heights or whatever, but just like... So like, if I get too excited about a goal, I will die. <laughs> <laughs> what if you were strapped in? Could you do it? Uh, probably in that situation, it would be better. <laughs> Wings score a big goal, and this guy comes swinging down <laughs> off the ceiling. Watch. You ever see that clip of S.J. Sharkey when that happened? No. The Sharks mascot? Oh. One time, like 20 years ago, he was supposed to rappel down from the rafters, and he got stuck. And he was just <laughs> hanging on a large rope from the ceiling, and they had to delay the start of the game. <laughs> <laughs> to get him down. That's actually really funny. <laughs> the only thing that's better of a, of a mascot situation is when a fan ran onto a field at a Chiefs game, and Casey Wolf helped the security guards like corral him, and then belly flopped on top of the security <laughs> guards. So sometimes mascots are helpful. All right, we've gotten sidetracked. I wanted to talk a little bit more about this experience. So, um, first of all, like whenever you go to, whenever I go downtown for events in Detroit, especially sporting events. I guess like the Fox could count or whatever. I'm not sure where the Opera House is, but it's not that far from there. Like I always park at MGM. Okay. Have you ever parked at MGM? No. So it's free, obviously. And it's like within a half a mile or a mile of all of the stadiums now. Like Mm -hmm. you couldn't do it when you park, if you went to the Joe. Yeah. Because that's like, I mean, you could, but walking through Detroit at that time in in history was like, uh, probably pass. Not that it's, insanely better but still um it's definitely a, a good bit better well that area anyway sure. so like you park there it's an easy in and out because you're like basically right on 75 yep and you can that gets you to 94 or 96 anyway and now there's like little places to eat and stuff around yep. lca yep. and like it it's it's i'd be much more interested in going down there for games because of that sort of an experience and then like i said sitting in those the mezzanine seats, which aren't going to be like the insanely two hundred and fifty dollars to sit like in the lower bowl for a game. Although I suppose if you go to a Pistons games, they just like give you tickets, right? Or if you buy one, you get six. <laughs> yeah, or something. pretty much. <laughs> but um, so I, I was I I thought it was great, and it's like easy like walking, and not a lot of people park there, but it's not too far that it's hard to do. So I mean, I didn't particularly enjoy the end of the game, but um, and I ran basically back to my car because I was frustrated. So uh, the whole ending went quickly, and I <laughs> drove back fast. But anyway, um, the point is, is that like I, I think that that was a massive improvement in terms of like going downtown Detroit for events and such. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I may or may not be attending a Red Wing game this week. We'll see what happens. It's still up in the air. We'll see what happens. But Who, who's who's in town? Uh, the Caps are in town, and then oh, you have a Caps buddy. Uh, he's not in town though. Oh. I, so I, you... I'm just looking to go to a game. And oh, you want to go this week? There. Well, they've been on a winning streak, and I haven't been to a game in a few years. So I was like, Have you seen Ovechkin? Should be a good time. Uh, yes. yeah, because you went to yeah, s- I went to a Caps game Caps one game. time. Yep. Who else is in town? Uh, the Isles are in town on Thursday. Who? So it's, well, it's two vaguely playoff rate I would like I would like to go watch the Isles, but they suck now. So <laughs> I will just be sad for the second week in a row. And sure, too much sads. So um, if you do go, you should report back and 
see what your experience is. And you should park at MGM and see what you think. <laughs> okay. I think that should be your, sure. one of your goals. Hey, when I was started going to games in downtown Detroit, I was a college student and I couldn't just throw around five and ten dollars for parking. Yeah, like that, that was fair. That was what I was going to hopefully use my ticket and meal money on. So. You know, we when uh, like long when we used to go to Tigers games in like the late two thousands, early twenty tens. You know yeah. where we always parked? Uh, no. Current Little Caesars Arena. Was there a lot there? Yeah, it was. It was just it was just an open lot. Tons of flat lot. I mean, that area there was not. How much was it to park there? I don't know. But that's you're like that's not my problem. I was like twelve or whatever. <laughs> I wasn't the one driving. <laughs> yes, but you were born that's, like that's where 35, my five. That's where you? my dad always parked. Is that okay. it was like a really convenient spot. It was a quick walk right to America, yeah. and it was just in and out. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, that's our experiences take. Now we will tell you about our hockey experiences take for Michigan over the weekend, which uh, went pretty well. Uh, I would say, in a lot of ways, best case scenario for uh, both games, maybe? Like, if you were going to design how you'd want these games to go and how you'd want Michigan to win hockey games, feels like a 4-0 shutout and then a 2-1 dramatic win where you were required to then have a defensive stand and some goaltending down the stretch of the last few minutes with an extra attacker, like playing well and hitting rotations and like, that's what you'd want, right? That's what this team where you're like, okay, they can get to that point, but they can't finish it. And they did both of those. Yeah. This was uh, exactly what the doctor ordered. This was the first, I wrote a column last week, basically saying they're in trouble. And this was, as I framed it, the sort of beginning of the backs against the wall period of the season and to get, Two wins, winning very conventionally in the way you're supposed to beat Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, is a good sign. Well, the way that you're supposed to win tournament games, too. Sure. Like, you, you don't just walk into the tournament and Colgate everyone. Yep. Right? I mean, that Quinnipiac game two years ago, and then the Penn State game yep. from last year it's, are both... Those are, those are how games generally go, unless you get to draw the really not very good teams. All right. And then you can go to the Frozen Four and lose in overtime <laughs> every single year. Anyway, hey, so losing overtime last year. <laughs> <laughs> improvement. Uh, thanks, Alex. Fun times. All right. So Friday night, uh, <laughs> shocker for me, uh, Keenan Draper makes the the team. You got hoodwinked. Uh, yeah, I followed up with some sources, and they basically were like, "Yeah, we weren't hoodwinking you. He just played," and I was like. <laughs> All right, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and uh, so he was back. They they took Pletsky out. Tanner Rowe played on Friday. It feels like Plet- the Pletsky Rowe situation is, I don't know, like a rotation. I, I don't. I, I don't. I, I've talked to a couple people, and they, you know, kind of some get like one over the other. Whatever. They feel similar to me in in those regard. Um, it did not start well as Tyler Duke is standing behind his own net. And waits just a smidge too long for the four-checker to come and almost loses the puck literally right in front of Marcheski on what would be the first noteworthy play of the game. Um, they do get away with it. Truscott gets beaten around the corner, and, and they give up a good opportunity. So the defense doesn't look good in the first opening minutes. And, you know, I think that uh, that first period of the Friday game was very... Very sloppy uh, from both teams. You had a yeah, lot of like was, missed passes. People just skating on without the puck. Like it was really ragged. There was just a lot of 
plays without a lot of structure. Goof troop it hockey. just kept happening. Yeah. Um, but Michigan gets on the board first on a <laughs> seemingly harmless play. They win a faceoff on the right dot in the offensive zone, and uh, Dylan cuts in from the boards and fires a puck that it looks like Bischel sees, but it goes through him and into the net. Uh, I thought he whiffed. Someone later told me that it was tipped. I, 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 it was harder for me to see the tip on that shot. It would make sense because, like, I mean... I'm watching this right now. I The Notre Dame defender puts his stick out to challenge. The shot comes from under the stick blade or under the stick shaft. Like the stick is like this, yeah, and then it goes under the under the shaft. It's so not, the viewers at home are seeing yeah, that, or very yeah. visual podcast. Yeah. Um, point is, it could have been tipped slightly by the shaft of the stick, but watching the trajectory of the shot, it doesn't change much at yeah. all. Like maybe it wobbles if if it got tipped, but it goes just right under the glove. He's got the glove right there. That, I don't think it makes any amount of difference. And it it's something where like like when you, we talk about tipped shots, there's no screen. He sees it all the way. His body is there. He just just make he just know. whiffs it. I think. Yeah. Even I, if even if it, there's a slight deflection, I mean, like because when we talk about tip pucks in hockey, it's like. You get a, a massive guy in front, and the puck is coming at your shoulder height, and it goes into the net at your ankles. Right. Like, that's a tipped shot that you can't do it's anything tipped about. Tipped up or tipped down, that kind of thing. Yeah. This was, like, maybe slightly deflected, but, like, it's yeah. in the same ballpark, yeah. right? So, yeah. I I put that mostly on Bischel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Michigan gets a gift there, uh, up 1-0. And I had a note here with 8.28 left in the first period, shots were 3-1 to one Notre Dame. So Michigan plays about not quite 12 minutes of hockey and gets a shot, and it goes in. Notre Dame gets three. Uh, I mean, Barczewski saves them. Uh, but that was just kind of the first what kind of first period it was? Yeah, the Michigan had the Canucks thing going on for a while with the one goal on one shot <laughs> thing on the scoreboard. Where the goalie's like facing the wrong direction <laughs> and then he's like, oh, we're playing over here tonight. Yeah. Um, and that is when I think, because I don't think it started before the game, but that is when I started noticing that Brinley and Shivsky switched spots. And that was, I think, triggered by Draper because they didn't try to play Shivsky down the lineup in terms of a three or four C. Draper plays, so now they have a stop on Draper, and then they flop, flip-flop uh, Shivsky and Brindley. So Brindley goes down to line two, Shivsky up to line one with Nazer and McGordy. And it feels like if you're going to make a change, that one makes sense. Yeah, I, we talked about this before. I prefer two lines. I think you need to have two lines. I think the only way you can get away with the top line being together is if you're just so dominant. Yeah, like the Fantilli line last year. Yeah, Fantilli's line was an example of that. Uh, we don't have the metrics for this kind of stuff, but in the NHL you would say that that line would need to be like 65% of scoring chances. Yeah. Just like domination. Where when they're on the ice, it's tilted one direction. To a profound level. Yes. To justify it. And I don't think they were necessarily at that. Um, they were, they probably were at times. At times, but, but I think it's better off split up. Because yeah. Because you can get more lines going, you can create more matchup problems. And you have a guy like Duke on the second line that finishes a lot of goals. Yeah. So it's not like your production's going to dry up, probably. And you still have Shifsky who's chipped in goals, McGordy's put in goals, Nazer's been fine. Yeah. So you, you're going to – not many teams are going to have two lines that are going to skate with them. Yeah. So that that 
happened, you know, I think probably something to do with the fact that they had one shot in like 12 <laughs> minutes. Um, uh, Michigan gets a, a power play. They get uh, maybe uh, one look and then and kind of nothing. Um, and then we get a really interesting sequence where uh, Josh Ernesty gets a, a breakaway. It's actually a two-on-o, but the other guy, based on where he was on the ice, is not really in a helpful situation. So this ter- becomes a breakaway. And Ernesty comes in alone, uh, fires off a quick shot, and Bischel has a very nice kick save, sends it to the boards, and within three to four seconds, Ernesty then takes a boarding call. And I looked at uh, Ryan Zook, who was sitting next to me, and I was like, when was the last time you saw a guy get a breakaway, fire a shot, and take a boarding call within about five seconds? That's that's very hard to do. Not very common. Like, you can't... You, you would have to basically have your breakaway, and then go look for a guy to slam into the boards and be able to get there all within about three to five seconds. But he was able to do that. And and, um, so then Notre Dame gets their first power play late in the first. And we see a repeat of what Dylan Duke did uh, on the Friday game of Penn State the previous week, where he's the first four checker. The last guy up the ice is uh, Janicki. And Duke just reaches out, pokes the puck away from him. Janicki loses an edge, falls down. Duke comes in and scores five hole on Ryan Bischel. A uh, nice little move going to the left and, and slipping the puck back through. And it's two to nothing. And that felt like at that point, okay, you know, we can't go all second half of that Saturday game against Michigan State here. But Michigan's in a really good spot. Getting two goals that are not really repeatable and are not really from like a, a play driving aspect, but are kind of like, yeah, you got a kick return for a touchdown and a pick six and you're up 14 in what appears to be a really strong defensive matchup. Yeah, pretty much. This is just a great play. Duke gets a little bit of luck in the sense that the puck carrier falls down right after the poke check. But even if he doesn't, the poke check would have been great because it would have created a partial opportunity. And regardless, it would have killed off 15 more seconds. So, well, and I don't think Janicki's going to be able to catch him with the momentum that Duke had. Probably Even not. If he it would have created fall. more back pressure, I think, that would yeah. have cha- you know, changed his ability to get a great shot off. But regardless, the guy falls down and then you know finishes the goal. So does it all himself. And that put Michigan in a really good position against a Notre Dame team that just doesn't score goals. <laughs> they don't score goals, aside, well, aside from Landon Sligert. Um, but they also haven't been as... It's not even that they don't score goals. It's that they don't even create tons of chances. Right. And so you're basically going to now just have to be smart defensively, (laughs) something we haven't seen a ton of, and you're going to be in a really good situation because they go into the second period up to zero. Um, And the second period, I thought, you know, it took Michigan a little while to get going those, you know, 11, 12 minutes. But after that, they kind of got moving along and, and their production over the next period or two. Uh, continued to increase. They ended up getting a lot of chances in the in the house throughout the game. So they were creating really good looks. Um, they didn't score uh, for a while in the second, but they were they were getting chances. And about uh, halfway through the second period, shots were eighteen ten. So you know you start to see the transition here because I mean you go back to you know a period earlier about midway through, and Michigan now is out shooting them seventeen to seven. And you can just see 
them taking over and starting to create in the offensive zone. Yeah, Michigan had a much better handle of the game at that point, and Notre Dame wasn't doing a whole lot in the way of consistent pressure. They were getting some things here and there, but nothing uh, sustained for the most part. Nope. And then, you know, finally those chances result in Michigan's second power play, and this one uh, looks actually really, really good. And um, it's late second period, and they go Moldenauer on the boards, low to Estapa, to the slot, to Shifsky in a very quick tic-tac-toe motion, and Shifsky just buries it, and it's 3 nothing. so you have a shorthanded goal, power play goal, I, I mean an even strength goal that's sort of a, a goalie gift, but you're just getting kind of everything you need from all areas of the ice and all areas of the game of hockey. Yeah, this is a play that a lot of teams run now uh, on the power play. This Like boards low? Yeah, you've started to see teams put guys on the goal line a little more, and this is a favorite play that teams run, the pass from the half wall to the goal line to the slot, that little... That angle. Instead of going in from the side to the slot, you go from from the bottom. From the, yes, teams have started to use the goal line guy more, and uh, this is just a preferred play. And uh, you got to be ready for it as a penalty kill unit. And if you just miss one little element of it, it's pretty hard for the goalie to stop because you've got yeah. the pass coming from behind him. Right. So, so a nice little play. Michigan takes a three-zero lead into. What it really does is it it challenges the penalty kill, especially. You mean if, this type of play? Yes, this play in particular. If you're uh, facing a penalty kill that's more box-shaped like Notre Dame had on this one, you get that one guy in conflict, the one defenseman down in the corner there, Yeah, and he has to either take away the pass to the goal line or, or take away the, the... And in a lot of cases, you know, he sees the pass go to the goal line, he doesn't take that away, and he's like, oh, now i got to turn my body, and then by the time he turns the body, the pass is right through him. Yeah. So if you're not set up directly to defend it, it, it can be a pretty good play. Well, and one of the big things about it was, like, this isn't from their top unit. Like, their top unit has scored a lot of their power play goals. This is from the second unit, and it's not even from Frank Nazer, who's been one of the guys that has been either scoring the power play goals or moving it. I mean, this comes on, you know, basically from Estapa. Yep. And and you get a a finish from Shifsky, and you look at that, and you're like, okay, we will take that. (laughs) Once in a lifetime Shifsky power play goal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't know that that's going to be the case, but... Well, for a while there, he had like 14 goals, and they were all five-on-five goals. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, you want to see depth plays. Uh, You know, not just at five-on-five, but also uh, from the power play. When your second unit can score, like, that's a big deal. Yep. So 3-0 going into the third, um, and it starts interesting because Michigan had a power play at the end of the second period that carried over into the third, and... um, they gave up their first odd man rush of the weekend on a breakaway uh, to Landon Slaggart. Of all the people that you just have to put handcuffs on all weekend, it's one guy, and he gets in alone and slips the puck five hole on Barchevsky, and it hits the post <laughs> and stays out. And you're like, I think at that point, I was like, you know what? Michigan's probably going to win this game, and they might get a shutout the way that the things are going. Um, it's when you know it's your night. It's just your night, yep. And... Uh, you know, at that point, you know, the third period kind of plays out. Michigan gets a few opportunities. Um, Barcheski made a really nice diving sort of falling glove save as he's going to, um, I believe his left. And then with 
about yeah, about halfway through, Notre Dame gets their third power play, and Michigan gets uh, another like easy kill, and that's kind of something else that is worth talking about. Is like you know, Michigan has just been stacking really good penalty kills, and we'll talk about that um, more in the third or the second game in the second segment. But you know, they you know, I can count all the power play goals since that Stonehill series like on one hand, and they even gave one up in the second game, their only goal they they gave up this weekend. And they're still fit on one hand. I mean, and we're, you know, we're pushing March here. Yeah, they've been on a hot streak on the penalty kill, which is good to see because it was such a weakness in the first half. And I was looking at that last week. They'd gotten almost up to 80% uh, on the penalty kill. And when you add in this super high power play, the special teams are a, a place of strength right now for the team to draw on. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's a lot of the places they won that game, won the game on yep. Friday. Um, speaking of going on... The power play, and then giving Notre Dame chances. Uh, so Moldenauer gets crunched head first into the boards, and um, I forget the player who was sent off for for Notre Dame that got the hit. Um, it might have been Janicky, but uh, so Michigan goes on a five minute all you can eat power play with about eight and a half minutes to go. And you know, my first thought is like, okay, just just take five minutes. I mean, you're up three zero. This team doesn't score. Just take five minutes off the game. Get to three and a half minutes, and you're—I mean, it's done, right? Like you can—we've seen Michigan have some meltdowns where you're like, "Uh-oh." So eight and a half minutes up three is still like we're not out of the woods yet. But if you have a five-minute major, it feels like you should be. And you know they do cr- create some chances, but also they give up a breakaway to Landon Slagger again, who is <laughs> the one guy <laughs> that you're like, "Hey." Let's not let this guy beat you. And, you know, Casey runs him down. They give Hughes gets called for the penalty, the tripping call. I didn't understand that. But Casey was the guy that skated him down and like tripped him and gave up the penalty shot. Did you not remember it being Casey? I'd have to look again. All I remember really about it was the discussion over whether it should have been a penalty shot. So people arguing about it. Do you have a take on that? Because we I mean, we talked about it in the box a little bit. Um... I was okay giving the penalty shot. I mean, it. He was behind him when he when he, he was swung behind the stick. to like the side. Yeah, he was like yeah, like four four thirty five o'clock yeah. behind him. Yeah, it's hard because I'm a little biased. I love penalty shots. So you want more penalty yeah. shots? <laughs> if I'm a referee and I have any opportunity to feasibly give one out, I'm going to do it because. Is that why you're not a referee? Is because you come with an agenda? <laughs> My agenda is to make the game more fun. So, not to favor one. As fun as just a to... mascot game. <laughs> Uh, but no, I didn't think he was like clearly from the side. He was kind of from yeah. the back approaching the side and I was okay giving it out. It doesn't really, it didn't really fluster me. The biggest thing for me about this whole situation was again, the, the five minute major thing. I, I would have been fine them just passing it around. Yeah. Not even shooting. Standing behind their own net. Yeah. Just <laughs> running like warm up drills in their own end for five minutes. Because you get down to, if you have a three goal lead with three and a half to go, it takes a pretty catastrophic collapse yep. to lose that game. Not that it hasn't happened. I have seen games where that happens, but it's pretty rare. But in the last few weeks, Michigan hasn't lost because they've had catastrophic collapses. They've had some breakdowns here or there, but they haven't just had the deer in the headlights, the Michigan State last 30 minutes. No, I mean, it's, it's pretty hard to blow that kind of a lead with that amount of time yeah there was that especially when you're out playing a team if you remember that columbus leafs bubble game <laughs> from like well, four years that ago. that was a while ago but yeah. yeah that one that one i remember but those are pretty rare so 
I would have been fine just taking the time off. And the one thing you can't do is give those kinds of things up. Like if you're going to hold it in the offensive zone, pass around, take shots that are easy shots that aren't going to create like rebound, rim right? the boards. Right. You, and you come, can't have yeah. a guy on the wing take a shot and miss wide, and then it you know pinballs out to center ice. Like, Would you say that at that point it's not even worth running a one defenseman power play? Like put a second defenseman sure. out. I would have done that. Yeah. I just think that it was another example of something we've been frustrated about a little bit, just sort of the situational awareness. awareness yeah. So, yeah. but Barczewski came up big on the penalty well, shot. So he so. did. He made the save. And then after that, there was a two-on-one for Notre Dame. So somehow... It was very, very bad. Yeah. <laughs> and that shot went high. Um, and then Michigan takes advantage, and, and you get a very similar goal where you have Casey from the top to... Rutger to the side to Brindley in front. He just gets a tap in backside on Barczewski. I'm sorry, not Barczewski. Bischel. We have a couple of B goalies this weekend. And it's 4 nothing. I mean, at that point, it's over. Yep. It was just, will we get Jake the shutout? And they do. And the team mobbed him. And he was, you know, it was a big moment for him, I thought. And it was, I not you know, shutouts, I think, they don't matter in the context of, like, like wins. But I think that, you know, goalies like him in sort of the same way that like pitchers want a complete game like right. if, if a comp- if a pitcher goes eight and a third and is taken out and they still win it it doesn't change anything but if he gets the all 27 outs like it's kind of a big deal yeah to them and i think the team wanted to get him one he's only he had the one in st cloud on that friday game that nobody really remembers because everybody was too busy hyperventilating about the ohio state game the next day right but um, and he's been close a couple of times, but this one was, was a big one. Yep. All right. Well, we will take a break and come back and talk about a different kind of win for Michigan hockey and a sweep. I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case, call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248 and 924 or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com. Gather round ye lads and lasses, set ye for a while And hearken to me mournful tale about the Emerald Isle Let's all raise our glasses high to friends and family gone And lift our voices in another Irish drinking song Consumption took me mother and me father got the pox Me brother drank the whiskey till he wound up in a box Me other brother in the troubles met with his demise Me sister has forever closed her smiling Irish eyes. Now everybody's died, so until our tears are dried, we'll drink and drink and drink and drink and then we'll drink some more. We'll dance and sing and fight until the early morning light, then we'll throw up, pass up, wake up, and then we'll drink in once again. Kenny was killed in Kilkenny, and Claire, she died in Clare. Tip and Tipperary died out in the Danielle. Shannon jumped into the river, Shannon back in June. Ernie fell into the... Okay, game two on Saturday night was a different sort of game. Michigan sort of felt in control for the majority of the Friday game. Added a goal, added another goal, and you're like, okay, you just have to see this one out. That was not at all the way Saturday played out. In fact, well, we'll start with... Lineup changes. Pletsky came in for Rowe. Um, can you break that one down for us? No? All right. No. Okay. Um, the first note I have is like right into the game, Michigan gets an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. 
Uh, Did you know what that was? Well, it it felt like someone was chirping at the ref, but you know there was a hit over on the boards later. So so maybe like there was something about like the uh, player wasn't let out off of the bench or something. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, like it that could have been it. it. It also felt like there was a lot. Michigan was like yelling at the referee about something too. So I, mean, it, I never saw an explanation of what happened. So. But those seem plausible. So I, I, I don't know. It seemed very, here we go, <laughs> Big Ten refing. Sure. But, um, and, you know, so Notre Dame ends up getting, I think, three power plays in this game. And this was the first one. It's very, very early in the game, the first period. Um, and I thought Michigan's penalty kill was really, really good on this one. The problem was is that when Brindley finally got his stick on a puck, he's about to clear it and runs into another Notre Dame player, and the puck doesn't quite get out. And then Truscott recovers a loose puck and fires it up the ice and hits a stoppa. And so basically for 90-plus seconds, they just can't get a change at all. And at that point, you just have dead legs, and Danny Nelson fires a shot from the side of the house and goes far post and in. And, like, you'd want to see a clear, but some of that sort of just feels unlucky as well. It felt like they didn't get a lot on the clearing attempts that they had. Okay. That they were kind of, they were not very strong clearing attempts was yeah. at the time. Was it? it was like, just hammer the puck. Just, just yeah, pound it. Yeah. yeah, see if you can get it out. Uh, sometimes that's bad luck, but it's one of those things where you, you know, eventually need to find a way to get it out. Right. But, um, I just didn't hate the kill itself. I thought. No, I thought they were fine overall. They weren't getting, like, passed through. A ton. Yeah, but they just, at a certain point, you do need a change, or you need a lot of luck, and they didn't get either one, and so the puck kind of goes in for Notre Dame's first goal of the weekend, um, and in the end, their only goal yep. of the weekend, which I think that you will take uh, pretty much every time. Um, Michigan doesn't get their first shot on goal until almost nine minutes into the game, so the first period from... Friday almost replays itself in that regard on Saturday, where it's, you know, Notre Dame, I think, has a little bit of jump because they have that, uh, you know, power play early. But I didn't think that they were generating a lot of chances either. A lot of their shots in the first period were on the power play. I think they were, they had eight, at the end of the first period, shots were eight, seven, and I think six of them were on the power play. So two even strength shots for Notre Dame in the first period. Like, yeah, all right. I thought the shack counting was kind of weird in this game. <laughs> okay. Just in general. How does that happen? Just in general. I thought that they weren't giving Michigan credit for a lot of shots that I thought were shots. And then Notre Dame just magically would end up with a ton of shots. And like the counter like, just inflated. Well, they there was the one point where, man, it felt like at the end of the second period, or nearly in the second period, Michigan had this decisive edge in shots. And then we came back to start third. And I missed like the first minute of the third. And so right. I know there were some shots in the power play. But all of a sudden I came back and Notre Dame had like nine more shots. And I was like, where did this come from? <laughs> oh, that was the text you yeah, sent me. I, I was like, what are you talking about? How Notre does, Dame's oh, not, the, you said Notre Dame, how does Notre Dame have 19, 19 shots? shots? I was like, I counted like four. <laughs> where are these shots coming from? I didn't understand the context of your text. So I was like, Oh, you mean like in the game? I think a lot of them are on the power play. It just somewhere. felt like they had 12 shots, and then all of a sudden they were at 19, and I was like... I think they had 19 I know through. that some were early in that third on the power play, but it was a yeah. little weird. It's the, the NHL's been doing these like shot audits where they do... <laughs> really? Yes. They okay. Were, they also done a big hit audit recently, which made a lot of headlines. Yeah. But um, 
there are games I watch and like there's a discrepancy between the shot counter on the broadcast or at the time and then they come back from intermission and shots were like 8-7 and they come back from intermission and now it's like 9-4 to four, and you're just like... That's very different. <laughs> what happened here? <laughs> so I didn't know if that was going on here. Was but... negative hockey played <laughs> during the intermission? Um, so they don't get their first shot till deep into the first period or about halfway through. Uh, and then they seemingly tie the game on a really nice pass from Brindley on the wall to Casey up near the opposite point where he makes a nice little move and then fires through a forwards legs and it kind of hits Bischel's glove and goes in. And this is sort of one where you're like, all right, it's not like a complete screen, but it's also not uh, like a, an angle and a, a position that you're sort of expecting the shot to get through. And so, you know, I, I that one I can sort of understand, you know, Bis, Bischel misplaying a little bit. Um, but it's reviewed and clearly, you know, Michigan players offside. And that one didn't seem... Uh, really arguable in any way. Did you see the review on that one? Yes, the review was clear-cut. My issue with this, and I tweeted about this, okay. and this is an issue I've had in the NHL as well, they need to put in a thing that says that your eligibility to challenge offsides expires after, let's say, 10 seconds of the zone time. 10 seconds? That seems early. No. More like... 15 or 20. Because this review was way, way before. Sure. Because it was a long cycle possession before that. And so my point is that they need to change it so that the entry is irrefutably linked to the goal. Yes. Because if you give after 10 seconds, if you are not able to clear the zone after that point, the reason you give up the goal is you're getting your ass beat on the cycle (laughs) and not the entry. At that point, it's on your defense. Yeah. And... This is my thing about the five-minute major stuff. We need to change the rule book so that coaches are not given get-out-of-jail-free cards where they can take goals off the board for things completely unrelated to the goal. And and an entry at the line 30 seconds before a goal is completely unrelated to the goal. I would agree. And so I've just had this issue in general. Yeah. Eventually, once enough stuff has happened that the entry, you don't even remember what the entry was. At that point, it should not be challengeable. Especially if the refs just at that point, if you get scored on, it's on you. It's not related to the entry. Yeah. Yep. I agree. So that's frustrating. So you think it just should have been one-one earlier? Yeah, I just think that that they should change that. I I think that we should make the rule book to allow goals to stay on the board and not find ways to get rid of them. Uh, that that is a very Brian take. I think. Wouldn't you say he wants there to be more scoring in hockey? He wants them to to expand the goal by like an inch or something. Most people do. Yeah. Except for all the ECAT coaches. <laughs> uh, so the goal comes off the board, stays 1-0, but not for very long, as this is one of the highlights of, of Gavin Brindley's uh, season, I would say. One of the better plays that he's made, where he picks up a puck in the neutral zone and just flies through the neutral zone, enters the, enters the offensive zone down the boards, curls deep below uh, the face-off dot, gets beyond the guy that's trying to check him and then just fires a snipe into the top corner. Um, uh, it, there was some debate as to if this shot was tipped too by, I suppose that that defenseman's stick. It's hard for me to believe it was tipped because of the specific placement. Like he hits that top corner that Bischel kind of gives him and you don't love giving up goals on the short side, but like, that's a really good shot. Sure. Didn't look tipped to me, but maybe, I the 
clip on Twitter is doesn't have a like a slow motion close up. Oh, you can't zoom on the Twitter clips. <laughs> so I would. You'd have Come to, on, Christy. You'd have to dig up the BTN feed and mm. and see if they showed one. But I didn't remember seeing one at the time. And just the way that play goes, it doesn't look like it's tipped. I didn't think so either. That was, but that's like a really nice shot, wasn't yep. it? Yep. Like he put that. You remember that Fantilli tying goal in Allentown last year? where he had to like hit this really small spot on Soulier to tie it late in the third, and he did, yep. and you're just like, oh my. Yep. That's a lit- and it wasn't as small as, as that goal. Brindley's wasn't, but that was still a really, really nice placement. Yep. Makes it 1-1, evens it up, and that's the thing that you're kind of scared about is like, okay, you give away a goal to Notre Dame early, and the problem here is that they can sit back on defense, and if you kind of get bogged down – that 1-0 lead, even if you play well, can just go and you get into the third and your legs get tight and everybody starts to clench up a little bit. And, like, that's happened last year, right? Yep. And, and the year before and, like, every year at Yost. And so getting this one still in the first period where you can get back to an even playing field and then be able to go out and try to win the game for the rest of the game is kind of a big deal, I thought. Yes, I would say so. You never want to be in that one-goal deficit. To Notre, Notre Dame. Dame later right. in the game. They're not nearly as good defensively as they used to be. But no, but they were on Saturday. I thought they had a decent game on Saturday. Yeah, Friday, not so much, but but Saturday, yes. They, they've they gotten more into the, we get hemmed in a lot and block a lot of shots, whereas they used to just choke you off in the neutral zone much yep. better than they do nowadays. Yep. Yeah, and that's that's also a bit of a, a different feeling. Um, So then we get the matching calls. Later on in the first period, where T.J. Hughes is hit from behind near the net and taken down, and they called uh, embellishment on him. So you get a trip or a, a takedown call. I forget which one it was, but then then they also get Hughes. Did you think that was an embellishment call? <sighs> These are always controversial. People were going crazy about this online. <sighs> He's definitely hooked. I think the hook makes him lose his balance. It did seem to me like when he went to the ground, he was flailing around <laughs> a little bit. Like uh, too much, so to speak? Well, he gets like the contact makes him fall to the ground. Sure. He didn't dive. Yeah. But as he's going to the ground, it did seem like his arms kind of. He's like, whoa. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. But you so rarely see that called that I just feel like. I don't know. It just feels like... It wasn't the most flagrant dive of all time. You definitely could call it, but those get called so rarely that it didn't feel like this was a super flagrant example. Remember when LaPointe got hit in the face in the Saturday-Penn State game last week, and, like, he just kind of, like, throws it up like he got sniped or whatever? Like, that's a play where you're like, okay, um, that's a bit of embellishment. It's weird, too, because especially in the NHL, those only get called... A lot of times if there's, like, reputation involved. Yeah. So I think, like, Tim Stutzlow are going to start to see that more and more with him. And Is he a guy that... Yeah, he's by far the best diver in the NHL. Hmm. And so it just was weird because TJ Hughes doesn't, like, have any real reputation. It's just yeah. a very strange time to make that call. It felt like if that first penalty was, like, something on the bench that was said, yeah. it felt like a jab at Michigan for, like... All right, hey, remember when you mouthed off? Here's your we're yeah. gonna get you again type yeah. of a situation. But um, yeah, so you get the four on four, and then uh, this overall was a very not good refereeing game. <laughs> there yeah. were a lot of shenanigans in this game. 
So it's 1-1 going into the second period, and I thought that Notre Dame probably outplayed Michigan for the first half of the second period. That It was, I think, 8-7 shots. You, you, you have your issues with the shot counting, and that could be fair. Um, but halfway through the second period, shots are 14-10 Notre Dame, so they do get more shots. Um, and Michigan, I didn't think, like, created as many chances. Uh, Notre Dame dominated the first few minutes getting a number of shots early in that second period. And then, you know, Michigan does get a couple chances. Dylan Duke has a shot on net, outworks a guy to get a rebound, has another shot. Um, Bischel makes good saves. And then they start to sort of build pressure in the back half of the second period. Yeah, Michigan started to string it together and then a really a dominant third period. Yeah, um, I thought both goalies actually played really well in that end of the second period there were a couple of yeah, good chances yeah. both ways and I just kind of like alternating notes of oh really good save for Bischel really good save for Barczewski nice save you know here there and and kind of building a narrative towards the end of the game of well, what I'm going to write about and you're like you know what this is I didn't think the defense was poor um, but you know offense has got a couple of chances and the goalies played really well going in going into that third um Michigan gets a uh, a power their second power play and you know this was I didn't think that their power they didn't do much on this one they didn't do much on their first one this was more of an off night for their power play now they didn't get a ton of opportunities the way they did the previous night or even in the last few weeks they only got two um, but you know it just you can have an off night on the power play right like you can have a really good uh, power play and you know some nights it's just not going to be as good well also. They're still. They entered this game still at thirty-five percent, I believe, on the power play. And I looked this up earlier in the year, and no one has had above thirty or thirty-one percent in the country over the last four or five years. Like at the end of the regular season or at the end of the year? End of the year. Okay, so they still have a number of games, but my point is that historically speaking, you expect the power play to kind of go cold to because, regress yeah. because they're running. They've been running at such a crazy clip all year. Yeah. Um. So. You know, it's still 1-1, and then, you know, you get a, a really good chance down low for Philip Lapointe, who just misses a chance wide. It, you know, that would have been kind of a, a, a neat goal, because, you know, he's not a guy who scores that many goals. He's, honestly, he's been a lot better this year than he's been in previous years, like, defensively, coming back and, like, clearing his own slot, um, forechecking a little bit, and just being more... Uh, positionally sound and um his i think his hockey iq has been up this year in terms of where to be and just making simple plays and it would have been nice to see him kind of slip that one in he had a really good chance bishel was down and out just pushed it a little bit wide but on senior night even though it's not official senior night it's like you know the ceremony but they're going to have later games yep um it would have been nice to see him kind of get one in that it would have been very nice for him um just kind of missed it. Uh, and then Danny Nelson kind of goes down for Notre Dame. And that's a big deal because they don't have a lot of goal scorers. He's probably one of their more high-end talents. You know, Landon Slagert's obviously a very good player. Danny Nelson's probably right there. He's their highest him. drafted player, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah, and he's a he's a freshman. He looks like a, a, a good dude. He, he had to go... Uh, into the locker room, uh, heard some reports even after the game that his his ankle was not doing so well, and hopefully he gets a little bit better because it's it's tough to see guy kind of turn an ankle this late in the season, especially when you're yeah trying to push for the playoffs. Um, and then you get uh, probably the more the most controversial penalty call of the game, 
uh, where Estapa is going hard at the net and Bischel freezes it and he does spray him, but it's not like it to me. It didn't seem like the, an intentional spray. Like he's get trying to go to the net and stop. So he doesn't like truck plow the guy and he does kick up some ice, but it's like right as the whistle is going. Right. And he gets yep. called for unsportsmanlike conduct. Like in, in what world is that a penalty other than this big 10 world? <laughs> Again, very strange penalty call. A strange time to make that penalty call. A strange instance to call that. I didn't understand really any of it, to be honest. The Big Ten doesn't do nearly as much situational refereeing the way the NHL does, where there's a clear mandate. But I tweeted at the time that just going off my rubric and the way I approach hockey refereeing, the general tendencies, that's a call you cannot make in the third period of a tied game. No, and especially in a game where you haven't called them any penalties. No, no. Like, it's 2-2. You, you just cannot call that. Like, you don't want... I mean, there, I think I think there was somewhere around six minutes, seven minutes left in this game. And you don't want that penalty... No, you don't want Notre Dame to score no. on the power play and win the game on that penalty yeah. of this game that's a really good hockey game. Yeah. Like, you, if they score, good. Good for them. But, like, let it be five on five and not off of that trash. Yeah. Ridiculous. But the, nothing really happened on it. Well, so. and that's the reason I wanted to emphasize this, as Michigan really stepped up on this kill, and this was one of their better kills. I think Notre Dame had the zone a little bit early. They rotated, Michigan rotated really well to take away any sort of looks. And then in the last half or so of the power play, Notre Dame couldn't even get the zone. No, Michigan cleared out multiple times and um, stood them up at the blue line pretty well. And, I mean, that's a great response when – you know, we talked a little bit about Michigan's struggles mentally, and when something goes wrong, sometimes they tend to spiral. And in this case, it really like firmed them up, and they shut it down. Yeah, that's one of the things about special teams in general is that you always talk about being on the PK and the risk of giving up the goal, all that stuff. But it can also work the other way, and there's absolutely instances where a good penalty kill can fire a team up. Yep. And it's sort of the whole five-on-three thing, where if you don't score on it, yeah. the other team tends to get some momentum going. Yep. Um, and then it happened. You get Gavin Brindley getting the puck on his side, on the far side of the ice, passes across to Marshall Warren, who's about in the middle, and he just rips one from straight away. This one, we're not sure if it was tipped. You had an opinion on it, but it goes through Bischel. I think it's five hole and giving Michigan the lead from a defenseman who was a former BC captain, came over. People thought we discussed you're going to get a pretty good year, should get a pretty good year out of him. Hasn't quite lived up to expectations, had, has, had his problems at times, has played better the last couple of weeks. But this is going to be probably his signature moment as a Wolverine. This play was kind of frustrating for me at the start because Brindley brings it in. He slides it down to Rutger coming down the wing. And he's got a clear shot on Bischel. And he decides to circle around. And I was just like, just shoot at him. Yeah. Shoot for the far pad. See if you can get a rebound and scramble for it. Because... These kinds of goalies, a lot of times you need to create that kind of chaos. Yeah, you're just not going to beat him. To score. Yeah. And so he starts circling around, and they have been doing some of that. And Michigan has that tendency to circle around and look for the right thing. But against Notre Dame, by the time he circles around, there's four guys in front of the net. Yeah. And it's like, so now what are you going to do? Yeah. Pass to the point, and then they're going to blast it into a bunch of bodies. So I was like, kind of saying, oh, you know, what is this? And so he throws it at the net into this mass of bodies. It bounces out 
to Brindley, and then he just slides it right over, and then it was just sort of the chance got created in some ways off the pinball of the of the bodies, and it's it's fine. I mean, Bischel sliding over, he's he does mostly get to see it. There's a Notre Dame guy sliding across. I don't think it hits that guy, but maybe it does. The guy does brace himself a little bit, so it it might have gotten a piece of him. I would have to look at a closer closer look, but that's what you got to do. Just put pucks on net, get a little bit of motion, get the goalie sliding just a little bit, and finally get it past him. But it goes in. It's 2-1. to one. There's just under three minutes to go. And, you know, from a narrative perspective, this is what Michigan needs. You want them to win this way because this is how they're going to need to win. And now they're going to have to defend for a couple minutes. You can anticipate a goalie being pulled, so it's going to be a little bit more like a power play situation for Notre Dame. You know, maybe you get the empty net or maybe you don't. But, you know, Notre Dame actually does a pretty good job, and they hold the zone pretty much for the last couple minutes. Michigan gets a clear here and there, but they rotate really well. They make really good plays. They don't really give up good chances. A couple pucks do get through, and, and Barczewski made a couple of very nice saves. Um, and then they get the clear to center ice, and that's it. And and they win getting a late goal, something they've traditionally given up this year, and then sit back and defend and get good goaltending and play good defense and get a couple of clears. And that's the kind of win that they're going to need in the tournament, in the Big Ten tournament, if they're going to make the NCAA tournament. And it was, I just think it was a bit of like a demon exercising a little bit of like, okay, we just, there's a hump we have to get over. And that was kind of one of them. It's a little bit shaky at the end. There was a... Well, they had an extra guy. Sure, but it wasn't like uh, Michigan did a good job in the neutral zone and they never really got set up or anything. Notre Dame had some zone time. They They got some shots through. Barczewski had to stand tall. It was a little hanging on for dear life there for a few minutes, you know, a few seconds right at the end, but got it done. And uh, (laughs) there was a, a Twitter account that was tweeting something like, you know, don't let Michigan hockey get uh, hot or whatever. And uh, then Jer Bear was retweeting that, like, come on, this is Notre Dame at home, like, blah, blah, blah. Notre Dame at Yost? Right. Well, you know, he was saying, like, yeah. you know, trying to make a dunk on it, right, sort of thing. And I went in and replied to him, and I was like, little do you know, this is, like, Notre Dame at home. <laughs> yeah. That's harder than. Oh, he was saying, like, Notre Dame is not going to do this. No, he was saying, like, you know, ha-ha, Michigan fans, like, celebrating a win over, you know, Notre Dame. Oh, I if see. you're if you don't know Michigan hockey's, like, recent history, yeah, yeah, like, Notre Dame isn't any good this year. Yeah. Beating them at home isn't that impressive. Yeah. But if you know the history, <laughs> this for Michigan has been harder than beating a Minnesota team with 15 NHLers on the road. Yes. Like, Michigan cannot beat Notre Dame at Yost. Right. They never can. Right. And so, well, this is their, I mean... The, by winning this Especially game, in this February weekend. Every yeah. single year we get to the end of the season, we play Notre Dame, and we lose two just devastating games every year. And so to have that not happen this time was pretty nice. Yeah. So this was this win solidified at least fourth place and clinched home ice in the first round of the Big Ten tournament, which is big when you're on the bubble because that I feel at least decently well about Michigan taking two out of three, if not just, you know, winning two against most of the bottom half of the Big Ten. It also 
keeps the hope for the third seed still alive because if they go and they get five points in Minneapolis next weekend, then they will be the three seed instead of the four seed. And it's their first sweep of Notre Dame in the regular season at Yost since I think they were saying 96-97. Yes. So of your lifetime. That is correct. I remember they swept Notre Dame in a playoff series in like when I was in school. I think it was like 05, something like that. Um, sure. And that was back before Notre Dame was good. Like they were not a good team then. And, you know, Jackson hadn't kind of transformed them into the juggernaut they were going to be over the next five or 10 years and, you know, beyond. But um, just exactly what Michigan needed and they got it in the way that they needed. And, it, you know, we've said all along the the frustrations with this team are not that they're probably not very good. It's that they just are kind of punching way below their ceiling. And so when the defense plays really well and the penalty kill is fixed a little bit and you get nice goaltending from Barczewski, you really feel good going into most games. Like, there's not a lot of teams that I don't think Michigan can go out and beat. And what happened this weekend is they just did it instead instead of projecting it. Yeah, and to get a sweep against a non-Ohio State team is good. In the Big Ten, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they they just haven't put together two games very much. And this is when they needed it most. Yep. Um, and so now you look at the tournament position, and they've been short up some, not a ton. Yeah. But it has moved them from as we sit now. They are 14th as of the time of this recording, which... If the season was over right now, that would be in. If there were no tournaments or... very Yes, very yeah. barely it would be in, yeah. but it would be, whereas last week they were 16th. So right. that's two so they ones. Yep. And now they're in a position where if they can get at least one game against Minnesota, then they'll probably be in firmer in the picture uh, the you know the previous, the next week. Right. And, going and, into the conference tournaments. And the, the difference between in the pairwise rankings... Um, is not much in the group that they're in. So it's not going to take a lot to move up three, four spots at this point. Right. The pairwise numbers at the moment are really bunched up. Right. Um, so the first thing to note here, I haven't seen anyone run the calculations again now after this weekend. But last weekend, uh, Connor Irgood had his... He did the simulator, and he projected that if Michigan swept the final four games, they would end at ninth in pairwise. If they swept Notre Dame and split with Minnesota, they'd be 13th. If they split Notre Dame and swept Minnesota, they'd be 11th. Hmm. So we're looking at either 13th or 9th from those projections, depending on, or like 17th if you get swept I mean, if you Minnesota. get swept. I don't think they'll get those swept. Are, those are yeah. the stakes now going into next yep. week. And the calculations are probably a little bit different now, but that is roughly the ballpark we're looking at. And if you look at the RPI now, in the that little range there, you have Western at five six oh seven, Saint Cloud five five nine nine, UMass five five eight four, CC five five eight four, Michigan five five seven five. Right, that's really so. You tight. that's three spots that you can jump with a couple of yes, with a good win or so. Ten th- and Providence is at five six one one. So really ten to fifteen in pairwise right They're now. All... The RPIs are all very very close. Right, so there's a lot of variability. And Minnesota is eighth in, in pairwise. So th- those those are quality wins sitting on the table for this coming weekend. To me, that's where clinching home ice 
really matters is because it, it, it probably gets you through that weekend and gets you a couple more wins. And then, you know, you have a shot at the Big Ten semifinal um, to, and if you win that, they're probably in. And then if, you know, if, if, if not, you still have, you know, a chance to, to get in with those wins in that, in that first round of the Big Ten tournament. So yeah, the, the 14th spot in Parawa is whoever sits in that spot when the conference tournaments are done. That'll be interesting because 15 and 16 are out because you have the, you know, Atlantic and the CCHA. The Big Ten, the Hockey East and the NCHC, I all think are not going to have bid stealers because, well, I mean, Quinnipiac, you don't know. I didn't say that. I was talking about the other three. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I, know, I didn't mention EK. Yep, yep, yep. But those three big ones, because the Hockey East and CHC, the top five teams, are all in yeah. the picture. So it would be very, very hard yeah. to imagine someone outside winning. And the Big Ten, the top three are all in. And then Michigan is the fourth. It's just hard to picture <laughs> Notre Dame, Penn State, or Ohio State winning the Big Ten tournament. Right. I mean, it could happen, but it's... No, I don't think so. I've watched Even if they get a round teams, or two. It doesn't... Yeah doesn't look like that's happening. No. So it's really down to the ECAC as being the team that would take that 14th spot. And Quinnipiac is at 7th. They're in. And Cornell is next. They're 16th. So if they won the conference tournament, they wouldn't really be bid-stealing because they'd probably they'd just, be in anyway. they'd just jump up anyway. Yep. But, yeah, there is a scenario there in the ECAC because – we saw this last year, right? Colgate stole the spot <laughs> in the ECAC. And, be- and Michigan benefited a little bit from that. Because the semifinals and finals are one-game elimination. So basically, you're going to have two bad teams get into the semifinals. And all they got to do is win one game and then one game to yep. get in, right? So uh, Colgate could do it again. Clarkson, Dartmouth, like someone could do it. It wouldn't be crazy to see it happen. So I think you want to get to 13. I would definitely agree, yeah. And um, on that note, we do have the updated pairwise matrix. Uh-oh. We haven't looked at that much this year, but okay. let me pull this up what real, do you, uh, real quick here. Um, what do you have for us? Michigan right now is up to 65% to get into the tournament. They were 30 or 40-something 30, yeah, last week. 33 so or 34. It was like one in three. That, this was a big weekend. Really shored things up in terms of giving them a fair shot going down the stretch. for at-large, 12% that they win the Big Ten tournament, which I think seems reasonable. Mm -hmm. And they are 10% to be 16, 12% to be 15, 13% to be 14, 13% to be 13, 13% to be 12, 11% to be 11, 8% to be 10, 6% to be 9, and very small probabilities above that. So yeah. you're looking at the three line or the low four line as what Michigan would be in if they get in, which seems reasonable. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like there's one particular seed that they're going to be locked into. There's wide range of outcomes. Yeah, that... this is just going to be <laughs> every game is going to matter. Yeah, everything is going to be swingy each weekend. And all I can say is, <laughs> if you are North Dakota or Denver. You really don't. You want. don't want to see Michigan. <laughs> I don't think if they if they sneak in as a four, there's going to be a one seed that's like, what the hell? <laughs> BC is basically locked into one or two. BU is two thirds probability to be one or two as well. They yeah. could fall to three, but they're very likely to be one or two. And then 
The fourth spot is probably going to be a Big Ten team. It's about a coin flip that it will be. Yeah. Uh, either MSU or Wisconsin. So obviously they couldn't draw Michigan. So you're looking at Denver or Nodak being the teams that would be in line to draw Michigan if Michigan's a low four. So I would be all right with them getting a three. Like, let's see if we can. <laughs> three you're looking at. Minnesota right now is on the two line. It could be Maine. It could be QPAC. I'd like to see Maine. I don't remember the last time Michigan faced Maine. I'm sure they have. I mean, I think they lost to him in the Frozen Four in like 97, maybe. But like, that was pre-Alex Drain. So. Long time ago. Before Jimmy Howard was even at Maine. <laughs> Jimmy Howard. Okay. Uh, all right. So we'll transition into other scores now and we can talk about what else happened. Um Augustana has an interesting weekend. They take Alaska Anchorage to overtime, but lose six to five, but then bounce back on the next night and they win three zero. So another win for the Augies. Yeah, they're having a decent season. Yeah, they're they're stacking a few wins. Um Providence had a bye. I I did not see them having a game uh this weekend, so we will not talk about that. Uh they you- did. Huh? They played uh, UMass Lowell. Did I completely miss that? Yeah, last night. Well, I'm glad that you're. They won here. two to one. Providence did. Yeah, not what we wanted. But. Okay. Well, all right. So we will talk about that. Thank you, Alex. <clears throat> uh, UMass beat New Hampshire three to two, and then the next night they ran into a big block of granite and lost in overtime three to two. So not really what we wanted, but it was okay. Uh, we would have liked a, a New Hampshire a proper sweep. split or a new uh, either one. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, Lindenwood's season has concluded. Oh. I looked at their schedule, and the I thought that they were just off last weekend. They were not. I mean, they were, but they're also off this weekend. They and closed it out with a three-game losing streak against Stonehill and Alaska Anchorage, so <laughs> enough is enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, the St. Cloud Clouds lost to Western Michigan 4-3 to in overtime, and then they beat Western 3-0. to uh, garnering a shutout that I believe is not good for Michigan, them getting that second win or the, the win on the second day, I should say. Not ideal. No, but they're not a bad team, so you can't expect them to get swept every weekend. Uh, Stonehill, the Rocks drank seven Long Islands and lost to Long Island 7-2, to and then they drank four more Long Islands and lost 4-2 to two the next night. Uh, that one wasn't as bad. I mean, they were kind of in that game. <laughs> The first one was was not good. They are headed up for their spring break to the Great North in Alaska. Oh yeah, don't they? Uh, they, they don't they play four games? They finish with two against Anchorage and then two during the week against Alaska. Right, so they're going to be there for about a week or so, yeah. I would guess. And so we will have nothing like spring break in Alaska. <laughs> that's that's the line of the hockey cast, Alex. I think. Uh, now we move on to the Big Ten games. Oh, first, by the way, did you oh. see this Cornell-St. Lawrence game? Yes, I watched all of it. So this was in Peter's rooting guide, right? Okay. So I was just checking the scores, and I was like, oh, Cornell-St. Lawrence, they're in overtime. That's good for us just because anything, any pairwise amounts that Cornell drops is, is, good, is yeah. good. And going to overtime, they're dropping some portion of a the game. They end up tying, but... Then I pulled up the box score. They scored twice with the empty net to tie the game. Who did? Cornell. Oh, they were down 2-0? Yeah, St. Lawrence was up 2-0 with 100 seconds to go. And, and they gave up two with the extra attacker? Yeah, including one with six seconds left. Come on! I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. well. That's... Deeply a, frustrating. Yes. Um, 
All right, so Ohio State and Michigan State play in East Lansing, and on Friday, Ohio State wins 6-2? to two? Yeah. What is going on with the Buckeyes? They get five of six points from Wisconsin the week before, and then on Friday, they go steal three points from Michigan State? Remember when we were like assuming Wisconsin and Ohio State were going to get their, or Wisconsin and Michigan State were going to get their sweeps over Ohio State? Yeah, they <laughs> they finished this uh, season, or this they have two games left against Penn State, but right now they have four regulation Big Ten wins, and three of them are against Wisconsin and Michigan State, or two of them are sorry, two of them because they two, beat they have an overtime win over Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, and then Michigan State beats them 5-2 to two yeah. on Saturday, which is slightly more predictable. But I, I did not see yeah, that they have, win. They have three wins in total. Two in, they have four wins in total, three in regulation. Two of their regulation wins are against MSU, Wisconsin, and one of their overtime wins is as well. Yeah. So not not what you expect. No. But they... But maybe that first series won't be as much of a pushover as we're anticipating. It might not. It'll be interesting to see. They have Penn State at home. See if they can close out. The... I don't think they can pass Penn State. Yeah, let me look at this. Team. I was looking at them. I, they're six points back. If they got a sweep in regulation, I, I think the tiebreaker there is regulation wins, if I'm not mistaken. And I think that um, Penn State would have more. They would be tied if they won both in regulation. They both have 13 regulation wins. Or no, you know, they'd have five in the conference, 13 overall. They'd be tied in both. Really? Yeah. I wonder what the tiebreaker then is. You'd have to dig that up. Yeah. I don't think it matters that much. I don't think they're going to get two regulation wins. It'll be interesting if they do. Is it? Where is it? It's in Columbus. Oh, boy. Yeah. So we might actually have to go sifting next weekend to try to figure out what that tiebreaker is. A very disappointing weekend for Michigan State just because they thought that they could potentially really put themselves in a good situation going into that final weekend against Wisconsin and to drop a game makes things much more interesting. MSU two points up on the Badgers and well in in Wisconsin dropped points against Penn State too. They yes. they shut them out 6-0 on Friday, but then they it dropped took one overtime. against over yeah, an overtime. So, so they went they had a 5-1 weekend. It could have been 49-48. Well, both teams control their own destiny and that'll be you know what's funny? Is like uh, th- I was looking this up because I was looking up uh, uh, the TV schedule, and um, so Wisconsin, Michigan State next weekend is essentially well, it is for the for the Big Ten regular season crown and the bye week actually. Yep. Um, but the two games that are on TV are Ohio State, Penn State, and <laughs> Michigan, Minnesota. So it doesn't matter if you're good; we're still going with the Blue Bloods. Yeah. So. Um, all right. Well, now we can talk a little bit about Minnesota, uh, the Nate Wells Gophers. They are eighth in pairwise, 29th in Corsi. Uh, their power play percentages is not Michigan level, but it's not bad. 23% penalty kill, about 80, which is right around where Michigan's is. Uh, they have a ton of drafted skaters, as always. 13 drafted skaters, three firsts and a second. Uh, their firsts would be what? Uh, Snuggerud. Oliver Moore and uh, Rinzel, Rinzel. yeah, on defense. And their second is also a defenseman. Uh, Ryan Chesley. Chesley, that's right. I was looking, yeah. Um, and then they have a lot of depth drafted guys as well. They have five skaters that are sk- that are scoring over point seven five points per game. Uh, that's not as many as I, I guess I would have thought. And, and Justin Close is having another nice Justin Close year. 2.33 GAA and a .923 save percentage. Um, 
he just he's just who he is to me, and Michigan has generally not struggled with Justin Close. No, it's it's going to be an interesting team next year because for Minnesota, yeah, because Close I believe is out of eligibility. Yeah, I so thought he to, was after last find year. A new goalie, but, but also Snuggerud is their leading goal scorer with nineteen. He, he's he's presumably go. going to sign, and then. Rodzinski is out of eligibility. Okay. So it'd be 13 goals you're losing there. And Pitlick, he has 17 goals. I don't know. I don't think he was drafted. No, he was fifth round. I don't know if he'll sign or not. But a lot of their production are these older guys that, yeah. that are the remainders of the last few Minnesota teams. And I don't know what they have coming in the pipeline to replace some of sure these guys. Sure, they have some guys. They always have some guys. Yeah, it's just going to be interesting because they'll be a much younger. and. I would think Oliver Moore is not leaving. No. I would be surprised. Uh, Brody Lamb, yeah, probably. He's, he's probably coming back. Yeah. He's been fine. Yeah. Um, so kind of our take, and, and you summed this up pretty nicely in the preview, and I think it's played out pretty well, is that, you know, last year Minnesota was sort of like Michigan, and they had that top line of yep. Nyes, Cooley, and Snuggerud, and they were all really, really good. Well, Cooley's with the Coyotes, Nyes with the Leafs, and Snuggerud is kind of tearing up with the Gophers. But beyond that, it's kind of like they do get the depth. They just don't have as much of the star power. And so I think that, you know, they they do get their secondary scoring a little bit. But it's just not the same type of team we're used to seeing in Minnesota where you just have overwhelming talent at the top. Yeah, they're a decent team, but they don't blow me away. How anything. is their defense? Have you have you seen anything or, or read up on anything on their defense in terms of like, because you remember how they used to have like six drafted defensemen, like, you know, yeah, I mean, Ryan have, Johnson was there, and have Renzel, Faber was they have there. Renzel, they have Chesley, they have the two middle stats, one of them got drafted pretty late. One of them doesn't have any goals, I think. Cal Thomas was a late round pick. Minnesota is a weird one for me because I, they're the team that I have the least real cognitive sense of. They played Michigan over the Penn State weekend. In football. In football, which was a very busy time. Yeah. Because that Friday night game was going on, like, during the... Was there a basketball game going on? It was during the TRO situation. that's right. We were all, like, refreshing insider pages (laughs) to figure out what's going on. Is the coach suspended? Is he not suspended? People are showing up at random courthouses, like, looking yeah, for... And then, yeah, and it was, that was, like, the night that it was breaking who the judge was. No, there's a new judge. Oh, that was no. back to the original judge. <laughs> and then... Uh, Court TV picks yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> and then Saturday night was during a lot of other college football games that yeah. were very important at that point. So I that was a series that probably less than any other I didn't pay that much attention to. Well, Michigan to. was up 4-1 to one when I got to my hotel. Uh, my buddy and I hooked up the Roku, turned it on. It was 4-1 to one Michigan. I was like, oh... Wow, they're they're gonna win this game, and then they did not. Yeah, and so that was a game that they blew. And then the next night, I think they're up two to one, and of course gave up a goal. And I think they got a, a point in overtime. Yeah, they won a shootout, I think, something like that. But Michigan did. Yeah. Okay, so maybe they got two points in a sh- from that. But um, it didn't look like Mich- Minnesota was definitively better no. in any way. It never looks like that. <laughs> and. You know, they did get clocked by Notre Dame on Friday of last week before eking out an overtime win, and then they're off this week. Um, so, you know, they probably spent some time prepping for Michigan, so they'll probably be ready for some stuff that Michigan wants to do. But, you know, do they have the horses, and, you know, how will Michigan respond? Can they play? Can they keep up these def- good defensive performances? Can they continue playing well on the on the penalty kill? It's not Olympic ice anymore. 
No, unfortunately. that's the interesting change. So, should be interesting. Both games are on BTN this weekend, Friday and Saturday night, 8.30. So, make a pot of coffee because uh going to be up a little bit late this weekend. But, uh... I don't know. I was thinking, you know, we'll have to run it through some channels, but uh, maybe if they win Friday, we might have to do a watch along Saturday because that would essentially be for the third spot, right? Uh, yeah, potentially. Because if they win Friday in regulation, then the teams are tied, and whoever gets that extra point on Saturday would be would be in the third position and hosting Penn State instead of Notre Dame. Yeah, which would be a benefit. I think that the bigger thing would be like you want to don't. All right. So maybe this is like too fanboy or whatever. But like, don't you wouldn't you rather face Wisconsin than Michigan State in the semifinals? I don't have a preference. You don't at all? No, not really. I was expecting you to have a preference. I think they're pretty equivalent teams, roughly. I think Michigan has. Don't you think that one team has a better goalie? Uh, I mean, Michigan's put goals in. Wisconsin State probably has a better goalie, but. I think Wisconsin has a much better defensive structure, and that could fluster. Maybe, but Michigan. didn't Michigan score like five goals in both games against Wisconsin? They broke it down, but you never know; it could come back. It's true. All right. Uh, the other note about Minnesota that I did have on here uh, for this weekend is they are ten three and one in the second half, which is is pretty good. They lost to Colorado College very early in January. They lost three to two, blowing a game in East Lansing that they probably. Uh, should have won. Michigan State pulled out of their hats, and then um, they got uh, wrecked at Notre Dame. Um, but other than that, they've been pretty solid. Yep. So uh, probably going to be a pretty upbeat, fun weekend. Yeah, they, they lost to Colorado College right when CC was getting hot. Because mm. they CC lost to Omaha this week. It was their first regulation loss since a loss to Minnesota. Wow. In like two months. Wow. Well, good for Chris Mayock. Good for him. Podcast 6.16 for Alex Dre and David Nasternak. No more Lindenwood updates, but still plenty of fun. 